It's a powerful weekend, isn't it? It's one of those where we're reminded of so many things uh, that have shaped and um, changed the world. And that's kind of what's behind the focus of where we want to go for the next couple of weeks. Not a week goes by that uh, doesn't seem like our current events don't shape us in some way, does it? Our current events come in world um, reaction and things that happen in our families or singularly to us or uh, in our country or around the world. And, and some of those things that we come in contact with can be rather perplexing, can't they? It's things where we ask questions and um, we look at things in a, in a very a specific light and, and there are some things that we look at and we say, God, that just doesn't make any sense. And it's in asking that question that I think is an inspiration of what do we do with that when we wonder where is God? This is why it's a great time to invite someone new to church and especially um, someone that you know, I know people, you know people who, who for whatever reason have been, been disenfranchised from a church. And a lot of the times I discover that people are, are disenfranchised from churches is because something has happened in their life that has been perplexing. Something has um, pulled their feet right out from under them, so to speak, and, and they're not really sure that, that how out of faith they can reconcile that. And, and, and instead of drawing closer to God in the midst of their challenge and trials and, and difficulties, so often what I see is people pull themselves away. And so these are the kinds of things that I think are important for us over the next couple of weeks. Yes, every Sunday is an important Sunday to invite someone to church. Uh, every Sunday is an, an important day to invite a friend to church or, or even someone you don't know very well. But, but specifically, let me encourage you these next three weeks because we're really going to delve into and deal with some, some complicated issues. And, and, and let me just get it out up front. This, this isn't going to be a feel-good series. This is not going to be a... Uh, the pastor tells a joke and gets us laughing and things like that. We're going to deal with some really complex things. And, and I want to just ask and, and pray that uh, you pray for me. And um, I'm the one slated the next three weeks to, to help us walk through this subject, where is God, and, and dealing with some of those subjects. And I ask for your prayers because um, it's important for me to be in tune with you, and it's important for all of us uh, to be in tune with the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Uh, that we can be where God wants us to be. There are uh, three different stories in the New Testament that I think uh, is the uh, foundation of where this series is going to be. It's, it's a place where we see struggles happening with God, where we see people like you and me, normal people, that we are just struggling with what's happening in our lives and we're asking God, where are you and why aren't you intervening? There are stories where we see where God seems inattentive or where God seems late. We've been praying and praying and praying for something and that prayer just doesn't happen and God seems late. There are there's a story that, that God seems uncooperative, that come on, God, just, just do as I need you to do and, and cooperate with me a little bit. And in these three stories, we're going to find some pretty interesting things. Let's just acknowledge this morning, first of all, that there are some times that God doesn't make sense. Um, I, I will never understand all there is to know about God in my lifetime, and guess what? Neither will you. And, and, and it's, it's on those other side of, of the veil, so to speak, that God promises that all those answers will be given to us. And yet on this side, we struggle. 
There are stories that, that we hear and stories that we hear from people and we hear people tell us about how they prayed for something and God miraculously gave them what they asked for. We, we see stories of, of certain situations and circumstances that people were involved with and all of a sudden it's like God intervened and, and they were saved from that. And we see all these kinds of things where people cried out for God and God answered very loudly uh, the, 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 the petition uh, that they were asking for, and that God cooperated them with their situation. And it's as if in those cases that, that there are people that, that are doing that, and God answered everything and did everything for them, and yet there are those of us, like you and me, who are uh, believers and who are followers of God, that sometimes that doesn't happen for us, does it? That there are those moments when things just don't happen. Here's what's really perplexing to me. Um, we all know people who are non-believers, and, and non-believers will just tell us about how everything's working perfectly in their life. And there are times that I will confess to you that, that I have found myself in that position where, where I have said, how can a non-believer have so much going great for them, whereas I, who am a believer, one who suffers for the cross of Christ, why is it that my life isn't as good as theirs as they're portraying it is to me at this very moment? Have you ever been there? Have you found yourself also in that particular place? You see, it's, it's God's timing that we struggle with. And, and sometimes as we hear people who are non-believers say that, that things just worked out and we struggle with the fact that God's timing seems to be working even for them in their non-belief. But the struggle becomes the reality that we come to the conclusion that sometimes God's timing is not our timing, that God's plan isn't our plan, that God's wishes are not our wishes. And I think that that's kind of the root of the problem. That's kind of the root of the struggle that we have. So what do you do when God seems silent? What do you do when God is inattentive? What do you do when God is uncooperative, when, when God just feels so far away from you that you are praying and praying and praying and praying for the presence of God himself through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, to be amongst you and you feel so void, so vacant, so far alone? Let me give you a couple of things to hang your hat on this morning. First of all, just because God is quiet doesn't mean that God is not there. We have got to frame our mind to understand just because there's silence doesn't mean that God isn't there. Here's another one. Just because we don't hear God doesn't mean that God doesn't hear us. Yes, there are, there are times that we see even in, in Scripture and the Psalms and others where the psalmist is crying out to God, wondering, where are you, Lord? Why can't you hear me? Well, God hears us. And trust me, whatever it is that you are shouting out to God, God hears you. And just because God is um, silent doesn't mean that God is absent. We truly believe that the Spirit of God is with us all the time, that the Holy Spirit never leaves us, and that the presence of God is with us. Well, this morning we're going to work out of Mark's gospel, specifically chapter 6. Uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles to chapter 6, we'll also have some scripture on the screen here in a bit. But what we're going to find out is a story. Let me give you a little background of the story. There's a guy by the name of John the Baptist, and John is the cousin of Jesus. And John is one of those guys who is on a pretty big mission. He is preparing the way for the Lord. He is proclaiming a pretty radical message, repent of your sin and believe. And, and turn from your crazy ways and prepare a way for the Lord. John wasn't some fashion icon, and he certainly wasn't a proper foodie. He wore animal skins, and he ate locusts with honey. And so we know that he was kind of one of those guys that was out in left field. But you know what? The common person loved John the Baptist. Why? Because he didn't take any stuff from anybody. 
And he didn't care how wealthy they were. He didn't care how powerful they were. He didn't care what neighborhood they lived in, what car they drove or what school they went to. He had one message and that was the message he gave. And if you didn't like his message, it was like, okay, doesn't bother me. And people love the fact that John was the person that he was. The story we're gonna look at in Mark 6 also tells us about, about a king, King Herod Antipas. And King Herod Antipas uh, was not a very nice dude. In fact, what we find out is that he coveted his brother's wife, Herodias, and he ended up marrying his brother's wife. And, and it becomes very complicated in this situation. And we begin to see some, some strife that's going on in this relationship. And John has not made it very silent at all about what he thinks about what Herod Antipas has done and, and the sin in which all that is happening under this particular king's reign in, in Jerusalem. And we pick up the story in Matthew or Mark 6, verses 17 through 20. Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put into prison. So the one way that the king was going to stop or tell John to be quiet was he was going to put him away. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. So John is pointing out something that is wrong in the lives of two individuals. And John is trying to say, that is not the path that God wants you on. And yet what they do is because he's trying to help them get on the path, they're persecuting him and they're going to quiet his voice. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. And when Herod heard John... He was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. You see, a couple of things. You know, Herod has John arrested. Herodias is buzzing in his ear. He's listening to his wife. He has better sense that she's wrong and that he's right and that there's something special about John, but yet he's overcome and overwhelmed by this message. He is fearlessly preaching the gospel he is saying, prepare the way of the Lord, and yet he's thrown in prison. And I think it's really important for us to understand that here is a servant of God who is engaging exactly the behavior that God created him to behave in, one who is faithful and loyal to what the gospel message is itself, and yet he is thrown in prison. He is not protected because of his faith. He is not protected because of his identity. In fact, he is persecuted because of what he believes. In fact, this is the same guy who said that I must decrease in my ministry so that Jesus may increase. The same fellow who said that I can't even tie his sandals or untie them for him. He is so great, so powerful, so mighty. John the Baptist did everything to prepare the way for Jesus, but he still gets thrown into prison. And guess what? Jesus does nothing to rescue him. Nothing at all. So here we have John, faithful, preparing the way for Jesus, thrown in prison, and Jesus does nothing at all. He's inattentive to save and rescue John from prison. We see a, some more of the story where John asks the question. He says, basically, I'm wondering. I mean, I, I imagine John at this moment, he's saying, Jesus, come on, I'm your cousin, I'm family. That should amount to something, shouldn't it? We're, we're kin, 
You should come and you should help me through this, if, if not with anything, just because of that. And Jesus, oh, by the way, I am preparing the way for you. I am doing God's work. I am making sure that people are ready to receive you. So I know, Jesus, I just know in my heart, I just believe it and I know it that because I'm doing all these things, you're gonna come and you're gonna rescue me from this. But again, Jesus does nothing. How do you think John felt? How do you think John felt? How do you think his faith was at that moment where he gets thrown in jail and he's, he's doing all this great work for the Lord and Jesus doesn't come? How many in the room think that John kept his faith really strong in spite of the fact that, that Jesus didn't show up? Okay, a couple of you. How many of you feel that maybe John's faith was uh, wavering a little bit because he's kind of wondering? Yeah, thank you for being honest with that. You see, John the Baptist is human. He's serving Jesus he didn't do in, he, who didn't do a darn thing to bail him out of jail. Jesus didn't do anything at all to rescue John from his torment or, or to rescue him from his predicament. John the Baptist was having doubts. And let me share with you how we know that. Go to Matthew chapter 11, verses two and three. This is how we know that John the Baptist, the baptizer, was having questions about Jesus and his faith. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect somebody else? I mean, let's go back to this. When he was in prison, he heard the deeds about the Messiah. Doesn't say that Jesus came and talked to him. John heard about the deeds, and he sent his disciples to ask are you the one who's to come? Or are we supposed to expect someone else? So John is in a predicament at this particular point. John is you know, saying, Jesus, why didn't you come and tell me? Why didn't you come and make yourself available to me? Why didn't you come to my aid? Why did you send somebody else? I wanted you to come, Lord. And Jesus doesn't come. So John hears about these works of Jesus. John hears about the proclamation of the gospel. John hears about the witnesses of the advancement of the kingdom's work, not from Jesus, but from one of Jesus' messengers. John is hearing about Jesus turning water into wine. Come on, Jesus, at a wedding? He's hearing about helping the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk. He's hearing about Jesus casting demons out of individuals and restoring them to wholeness. But Jesus never came to tell John anything about this. Jesus left him hanging. John said, Jesus, you're inattentive. God, you're inattentive. I thought you were the one, but obviously maybe you aren't. So who else is coming after you? Is there someone else who is coming? So let's go to what Jesus says in reply. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man, blessed is the person who does not fall away on account of me. John, here's all these wonderful things I'm doing. My friend I sent to you is telling you about it all. I hope you can hear about it. I hope you can connect. Jesus is telling the others, go back to John and tell him the news. 
tell him that the gospel is being advanced. And John relishes, John is excited, John is wonderfully in the moment that the gospel is being proclaimed, that the power and the movement of God is happening, but yet in the back of his mind, why, Jesus, didn't you come? Why were you inattentive? Why didn't you come and rescue me? Why did you send a messenger instead? Jesus, are you really the one? Well, the story goes on that the king throws a big party. He throws a big party. He and his guests get drunk. Lots of things are happening. Sometimes when people get inebriated, they make promises that they can't keep. And the king does just that. The king loves to watch girls dance, and he encourages dancing to happen. But Herodias, his wife, isn't one who wants to dance. So the king uh, asks for Salome, the, the daughter, to dance. And, and he has this attractive eye upon her. And, and Salome answers, says, yes, but, but, but what, what will you do? And the king said, I will give you anything, I promise. I will give you anything if you will just dance for me. She whispers to her mother, Herodias, what is it that you want? And the exchange comes back the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Now think about it. You know, here the king, the king was afraid of, of John the Baptist. The king wasn't really sure what would happen. He, he imprisoned him. He didn't do what his wife wanted. But now the king has been boastful in front of all of his guests, in front of all the important people in his kingdom, and his pride gets in the way. And instead of doing something differently, the king says, well, I've got to follow through with what I boastfully made a promise to. And he sends the executioner. Let's pick it up in Mark 6, 26 and 28. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. He didn't want to refuse Salome. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. And the man went, beheaded John in the prison and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl and she gave it to her mother. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I don't like the end of this story. The end of this story troubles me greatly. It troubles me in, in, so many, in so many ways. And the reason why it troubles me is why did God remain silent in this situation? Why was the Lord inattentive to not come to John in his greatest need? John was faithful, John was doing God's work, but yet Jesus himself chose not to come as John has requested. Well, what was John the Baptist's greatest role. What was, what was he created to do? He was created to prepare the way for the Lord, right? He was created to be a message heralder. He was created to do this. What John wanted to do didn't happen the way that he had prepared. He had asked the Lord to rescue him. He had asked the Lord to come and get him out of the prison. But John had fulfilled his mission. He had fulfilled his purpose. God had accomplished his plans in John, despite the fact that what John was asking the Lord to do was not at all the way the Lord was going to answer. And John's priorities were mixed. God's purpose was fulfilled regardless of the fact that he responded the way that John wanted. And I think that that's really important for us to understand this morning. Sometimes God's plans are fulfilled even when it's not the way that we ask. Here's what the writer of Proverbs says, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. You see, a lot of times we find ourselves saying these kind of words. If I were God, I would do it this way. Or God, I want you to do it A, B, and C. Or God, it's really easy. You don't need to spend time to figure out. Just do it this way, Lord. 
and, and it'll all be well, but yet we find out that it's not that way at all. In fact, sometimes what we ask God to do is not at all how God responds, is it? When I answered my call uh, into the ordained ministry of the United Methodist Church, we went away to seminary. We needed to sell our home. Patty and I were living the American dream like many of you in the room, except our case was we, we overspent what we could buy on and had very little margin in between. We bought and built the biggest house, our dream home, that we possibly ever could have fathomed. It had all the toys and all the things that were in it. It answered a call into ministry, but yet in that situation, every bit of money we had went into the brick and mortar of that home. Patty and I look back on that situation and realize at a point in time in our life, we worshiped the home in which we lived. It had become a God. So we had found ourselves in this place, and, and all of a sudden, uh, things began to fall into place. We found somebody who would do a lease purchase agreement on our home. And Patty and I realized that in 90 days, while we went off to seminary, that all of a sudden, after 90 days, we would cash out the tens of thousands of dollars that we had put into the home, and about $70,000 of equity at that particular time in 1993 dollars would all come back to us and that we would be fine in seminary and be able to pay for everything and live in a high level of living in a very small town. We couldn't wait for that to happen. We were following God's plan. I was in seminary. Life couldn't have been better, but then it happened. The lease purchase agreement was canceled before the 90 days. And the buyers who had signed it said, we'll forfeit our small deposit, which was one month of rent, and we're gonna go buy another home. Now I looked at that situation and realized you know, to say that we were devastated would be an understatement. All the plans that we had had, all the things that we had figured out, the exact appropriate way we wanted things to go would fulfill that, but we had lost everything. All the money that we had ever thought we would have was now gone because of our priorities. We couldn't understand why God would abandon us on this. Why wouldn't God answer our prayer? Why couldn't the creator of the universe send us a cash buyer at full price? Surely the one who parted the Red Sea would send us a new buyer. In fact, two or three or four, right? But it didn't happen. And like John the Baptist, I too had felt that I have done all of these things for you, Lord. I've made a commitment in my life to follow you, to do your work. I had done everything in support of your message, preparing the way for you. And yet, the same Lord that John felt abandoned him, I felt had abandoned me. My soul was troubled. God wasn't listening. But you know what? God's plan was fulfilled. We didn't have the cash to pay for seminary. In fact, racked up probably $100,000 of debt, student loans, to go to the seminary I felt that God called us to go to, which unfortunately wasn't a cheap one. And yet, despite the plans that we had made for ourselves, God fulfilled his purpose. I'm an ordained pastor of the United Methodist Church. And God has walked with us through this situation. Know how we wanted it. Know how we had said. Know how we wanted to craft everything. Is not at all how it worked out. But yet God's plan was fulfilled. And God fulfilled his plan. When God doesn't make sense, I can always trace it back to a couple of things. And it usually goes back to the fact that it didn't happen the way that I planned it, but yet God's purpose was fulfilled. 
So listen closely to these two things. You should never interpret the goodness of God through your circumstances. Instead, you should interpret your circumstance through the goodness of God. Did you catch that? Let's say it again. You should never interpret the goodness of God through your circumstance, but you should interpret your circumstance through the goodness of God. It's God's goodness that prevails. God's goodness is not based upon your circumstance. Our faith is, is, uh, should not be our plan, but our faith should be in God's purpose. It should not be built upon what we want, but it should be built upon the purpose of God. Paul writes this, and we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. God brings good to those who love him. God says, if you love me, I bring goodness upon you because you are called according to my purpose. But we also know that in the midst of being loved by God that life happens, and none of us is exempt from life's circumstances. We find ourselves daily praying for our loved ones and our friends who are sick, who aren't likely to get better. We are so lonely, and we want to go be with our loved ones in heaven, that daily we rent and less into that. We try to make ends meet and we don't have enough money to pay the bills and yet we move through that and life is horrible. Things continue to go the opposite way that we wish. Why? 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 We don't need to understand the plan, but we must always understand God's purpose. We need to remember this solid truth. No matter what, God is always good. Even Jesus experienced this. Even Jesus knew what was coming on the cross. He went to the garden, he bent down and he prayed and he said words such as, uh, if there's any way possible, Lord, to remove this impending death, it's gonna be a horrible death. If there's any way to take this away from me, Lord, I really don't wanna suffer. I ask you, God, please remove this. I, I don't like this plan. I don't like this plan. But then he came to the realization, but I understand your purpose. And in the purpose and all the shameful acts leading up to the cross. At the point, Jesus looked into heaven and he said, my God, my God, why? And even the Lord wondered, why have you forsaken me? Why are you silent? Why don't you rescue me? Why don't you do something? Say something, great God. But just because God is silent doesn't mean he's not there. Everything in our Christian faith hinges on that statement that God is with us always in all things. What was the purpose of Jesus' hurting on the cross? For what purpose did he have to die, the death that he died, so that we could have forgiveness of our sins, folks? And that by his grace and shed blood, our sins would be cast away. So the next time you ask and you wonder, remember that God himself knows the feeling, that Jesus himself asks the same questions that you ask, that in his own humanity, he knows that God knows how you feel. God knows what your struggles are. God is in the midst of that. You don't have to like the plan, but we must always trust in God's goodness. And we must trust in the purpose of which he has. When life seems silent, when life feels like God is absent, no matter what, always remember that even in the silence, we are called to trust and obey.